a lot going on as we start this episode of Whiskey Noobs, so let's just get into it. First of all, I'm your host, Chris, and you are, of course, listening to the Whiskey Noobs podcast. So what all is going on in this episode? There's, I feel like there's a bunch of different things that I was like, I should mention this, so I gotta like make sure I mention it. The first is, the thing that I'm drinking is not alcohol. It is still dry January. This is diet ginger ale, because I have a theory that aspartame will give me superpowers if I drink enough of it. That's a joke. Don't do that. Also, I am in not a new studio, the same studio, rearranged. The new studio, the old studio, is rearranged to look like a new studio. Uh, so if you're watching the video version, maybe you've noticed that. Also, the video, I, I think it looks pretty good. I'm, like, monitoring it. Uh, but we'll see because I'm still working with the lighting and the cameras and all of that. Turns out there's a very steep learning curve for those sorts of things. So a few different things going on that are hopefully going to just continue to improve. Uh, shout out to the patrons because, you know, all these new, all this new gear and stuff wouldn't be possible without you guys. So thank you very much. Uh, and please, if you're, if you're not on the Patreon, please just consider looking. Just consider clicking that link in the show notes so that you can check out the Patreon page. I think that's all of the little things that I wanted to mention. I also wanted to mention we got a bad review on... Apple Podcasts, I think, the other day. Um, so, apparently, myself and my guests were chewing in the microphone, which I can understand. I've listened to podcasts where people do that, and it's irritating. Um, I don't think that's grounds for a one-star review and very cruel words, but, you know, that's why I'm the one making the video and not the critic. I'm, I, I couldn't be a critic, I guess. So, <laughs> I say all that to say, if you haven't yet left a review and you like the show, please consider leaving a five-star rating or review. It helps out a ton, especially to counteract those bad reviews. So, if you like what we're doing here and you don't mind the occasional chewing in the microphone, uh, then please, please consider leaving a five-star rating on Spotify or review. You can even type out your thoughts on Apple Podcasts. I would very much appreciate that. Or whatever you're listening on, if they allow, if they allow ratings. That should be all of the announcements. Now, today is going to be a pretty fun episode. I think a lot of people are really going to like it because I have had some requests for something like this. Um, this actually started, I'm pretty sure, from a Q&A a Q&A episode where you guys ask questions and I answer them for you. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, somebody asked about the history of bourbon. And, and this might have been a few episodes ago. I don't really remember. But if I remember correctly, somebody did. And I thought that would be a great episode. So that's kind of what we're going to walk through today. Now, what is the history of bourbon? There's so much. There's so much we could talk about with the history of bourbon. So I've narrowed it down to some topics that I think are very important. And some of the different myths and legends that have happened with bourbon that have just kind of developed over time. And we're going to talk about those and a few different things that I researched. And there's a couple different, uh, I don't want to say opinions, but a couple different takes from different websites, which I will mention as we're going through it. So I think it'll be fun. We're going to talk about where bourbon originated from, like whiskey just making it to the United States, um, who may or may not have been the inventor of it. Of course, we got to talk a little bit about prohibition and about the bourbon glut that happened in the late... 20th century 1900s means 20th century right i think so that that one the late 1900s um a few different things which i think is going to be very cool and a lot of it was interesting as i was researching it i bumped the camera so it may have moved a little bit once again we're working with this new studio there were a lot of things as i was researching the history of bourbon that i was like this is very i mean it's so it's so rich and the history of bourbon, it's corny to say, and I've had people say it to me, I thought this is corny, but as you're researching it, you're really realizing 
the history of bourbon is kind of American history. Um, I think it was Melissa from Old Forester who said, you know, America really grew up with bourbon. And that is so true, especially with a few different things that we're going to be talking about. So let's start walking through that a little bit. This is just going to be kind of a casual walk along the timeline that is bourbon growing up in the United States. Starting off with the name. The name isn't necessarily like we're not starting off pre-bourbon yet, but I want to talk about the name of bourbon because I've talked about it in a very old episode and maybe you didn't go back and listen to it. The name most likely comes from the French Bourbon dynasty. So this is actually like a French dynasty of, of family known as the Bourbon dynasty. And so that name, Bourbon, the French one, was used in the United States for Bourbon County, Kentucky, and it was also used for Bourbon Street in New Orleans. And so there's some debate about whether it comes from Bourbon County, Kentucky, the name for the whiskey comes from Bourbon County, Kentucky, or comes from New Orleans, or what it is. Um, But either way, it originally comes from the French name Bourbon, which probably they didn't pronounce Bourbon. It's probably some, I, I can't speak, I can't do a French accent, but Bourbon or whatever, you know what I mean? It's probably something like that. So the spirit bourbon might get its name from New Orleans, might get its name from the area in Kentucky. I don't really know. Nobody really knows. And there's a lot of different stories which we'll talk about um, as to who invented it and how maybe that name became the name that it is. But before that, before we get to a spirit actually called bourbon, we've got immigrants coming to the United States, as they did back in the 1700s. And, of course, as they they came over from overseas, they brought distilling with them. Distilling was already in England and in in that whole area, um, especially with barley. You saw a lot of single malt whiskeys over there. And so in Ireland and in Scotland, barley was plentiful, so you distilled barley. Now, when you came over to the United States, corn was plentiful, so you distilled corn. And so we've got people practicing basically the same thing, but they have different grains, and so they're using the grains that they have available to them. At first, this corn that they were distilling down, they would ferment it and then distill it. It was unaged, so it was kind of like moonshine. And that is kind of where we leave whiskey and start to move towards bourbon. Um, but that that was the landscape. And actually, before necessarily bourbon was invented, Evan Williams actually founded the first ever commercial distillery. But that's not to say it was a bourbon distillery. It was distilling whiskey. It was distilling whatever they were calling it at the time. We haven't yet gotten to people actually calling it bourbon and the quote-unquote invention of bourbon. So the stage is set. We've got this moonshine-like substance that's just unaged corn whiskey. We've got Evan Williams opening up a distillery. The first commercial distillery, I should make a point to say, there's probably other people, there's not probably, there's definitely other people doing distilling, using it for trading and for bartering. That's going on. Uh, But we have Evan Williams actually licensing a commercial distillery. Now, this is in 1783. If you know your U.S. history, 1776, the Declaration of Independence. We're talking America is young, okay? This This is happening throughout the first decades of America. Most of what we're talking about today is what's going on. So we're still in that very early stage. I just want to keep that in mind. I want to make a note of that. Now, who invented bourbon? So where did like bourbon bourbon come from? Not this unaged moonshine whiskey that we currently have if we're sitting in 1783 or whatever year that was, but bourbon. 
there's this is widely disputed. There's no correct answer that everybody's 100% agreed on. But the one you're going to hear about probably the most is that Evan will or not Evan Williams, I'm sorry, Elijah Craig invented bourbon. I just said Evan Williams for the distillery. I'm, I'm getting all confuddled. Two different E names, which is, you know, right in the beginning of, of bourbon history. Elijah Craig is said to have been the first person to take this unaged corn whiskey and put it into barrels and then age it into what basically then was bourbon. However, this is a pretty disputed story. Um, One website, which I wish I had written down, but for some reason I didn't, um, somebody online was saying that it could be the case that people started perpetuating that story about Elijah Craig in the prohibition era to try to counteract prohibition to try to go against it because of the fact that elijah craig was a baptist minister and so a man of religion was okay with or apparently invented bourbon so why should we be outlawing bourbon in the name of religion or outlawing alcohol in general in the name of religion was was the story that they were saying so maybe that's the case maybe that's how this grew into such a legend but that it's not much of a claim that has a history where you can look it up and be like, yeah, this is exactly what happened. We don't really know. There's a couple other stories. So I've heard that whiskey was put into barrels in order to ship it down the Mississippi River, and it took so long to get down there. By the time it got down there, it was aged, and it had this dark color to it. People were like, I really like this, and thus bourbon was born. I've also heard that maybe people were aging their bourbon in barrels because they wanted it to look more like brandy to make it a little bit more appealing to consumers who were used to brandy at the time. Maybe that's the case. Nobody really has a great straight answer. Um, so that's probably the biggest moral of the story. Most likely, as with everything else, the recipe just evolved over time. So people were making this whiskey. It wasn't aged at the time. Then they started kept keeping it in barrels, or it was probably already being kept in barrels. But it started staying in them long enough that people realized, hey, I like it with this dark color. It starts to have more flavor. Then they're like, let's push it. Let's age it longer. That's probably how it happened. Just like bourbon's still evolving today, it probably just slowly evolved over time like that. Then people probably started playing with different grains to see what different flavors could be added to it. And boom, you've got all this different experimenting going on and eventually you've just got bourbon. That's probably what was likely to happen. But you're going to hear a lot from other people or from online or from wherever that Elijah Craig was the inventor of bourbon. So that's where that comes from. And maybe it was just actually a piece of uh, anti-prohibition rhetoric or propaganda, however you want to look at it. Because once again, Elijah Craig was a Baptist minister. And if he did invent it, he invented it in the late 1700s. So once again, right there with the birth of the, of the United States. Now, fun fact, according to the ABC Fine Wine and Spirits website, this actually led to the invention of the drinking straw. So as the legend has it, the inventor of the drinking straw, Marvin Chester, he glued together paper to form it into the drinking straw. Why would he do that? Well, you used to drink your cocktails or your bourbon through a rye grass straw. Why was that hard for me to say just now? A rye grass straw. So you take a a piece of rye grass and it was hollow on the inside. You could drink through it like a drinking straw because they didn't have drinking straws yet. Legend has it that Marvin was upset with the straw falling apart. He was annoyed by it. So he took paper, he spiraled it up, he glued it together, and then he used that as his drinking straw. And then, boom, the drinking straw was born. Uh, So that is a little nugget of history just kind of buried in the history of bourbon. I thought it was really interesting because I guess I I don't know if it's just how I was raised or if it's just like modern society. When you think drinking straw, 
I'm usually thinking like a milkshake because it's like hard to pull something through, a, hard to pull a milkshake through a drinking straw. Or maybe you're thinking like pop or something, but it's just something we take so for granted now that we don't even really think about where it could have come from. But it came from bourbon. It came from drinking alcohol, as did so many things. So fun little nugget there for you on the history of bourbon. Now, that leads us up to bourbon basically being created, um, or whoever created it, it leads us to that point. Now, there are a few different things that happened in bourbon's history that really shaped it to what we know today. Uh, This one, I don't know how much it shaped it, but it's certainly incredibly interesting. The Whiskey Rebellion. We actually mentioned this on episode, I think, 10 or 11, um, where I had Will and Tyler on, and we, we, I think it was Tyler had mentioned this, and I thought, that's really interesting. How have I not heard of that? So I did some more research on it. The Whiskey Rebellion started because the government started to tax whiskey in 1791. Uh, so this was George Washington, if I'm not mistaken. Hopefully I'm not wrong there. I'm going to sound really stupid, but I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, decided to enact a tax on whiskey. Now, the locals refused to pay the tax because they saw it as unjust. And there was also different things happening, uh, I guess, socioeconomically, where um, it, it seemed to favor bigger distillers. So your local distillers were very upset about it. Now, a bunch of people started refusing to pay it. Eventually, you've got lots of violence against the tax collectors to the point where um, they're harming each other. So the locals are refusing to pay this tax. It's really hard to even get it out of them. And now they're actually going out and harming tax collectors. This is old school America. No taxation, right? So... Finally, they gathered a ton of rebels. Uh, they There was a bunch of different violence. They burned down somebody's house. They eventually get towards Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. And they're, they're a formidable force at this point. The government's rather worried about it. And it seems like maybe they're going to do something to Pittsburgh. Well, Washington, so it was Washington because I have it in my notes. Thank goodness. I'm not crazy. He sent in the militia to stop this. He was like, we need to make a move here. Um, something's not right. Let's let's go in there. Let's show our force. Just show the power. And apparently, I can't find anything to say that this was overly violent. Um, it just seems like that was what happened, was the, the show of force to stop it. The rebellion was stopped. Um, overall, there was, it was relatively nonviolent. I think, if I remember correctly, like two people ended up being convicted, and I think Washington pardoned them. I didn't put that in my notes here, but if I'm not mistaken, that's what happened. And it wasn't repealed, though. So the tax stayed in place, and people were still very upset about it. And eventually, it was kind of like a tax you just couldn't collect. Nobody was paying this tax. And so finally, <clears throat> once again, this, this started in 1791. Finally, in 1801, um, Jefferson took office, and then they repealed the tax on whiskey. And so this is this is a near full revolution very early in America's history, which a lot of people don't really know about. Like, I didn't know about it. But it was very close. If, if the militia hadn't been intimidating enough, if the rebels hadn't backed down so easily, this is seen at least by the historians that I was reading up on, as being very nearly a full revolution. But what it was more importantly was a test of the new government's authority because this government's brand new. And it was a test that they passed because they, they, they stomped out the embers of this rebellion before it even grew into a flame. So this was really, once again, America growing up with whiskey. You're seeing that the first test of government authority is over 
taxing alcohol, and it's known as the Whiskey Rebellion. So that was the first big step towards seeing if people were going to respect their new government or not, and thankfully they did, and we now have the government that we have today, regardless of your opinion of the government. We now live where we live today, if you live in the United States. So then, as far as my notes are concerned, not a lot happens. We just we continue making alcohol and drinking alcohol, and then we get to 1919. And if you are familiar with United States history, you know that that's when Prohibition started. Prohibition, if you haven't heard of it, is the outlawing of all alcohol, except for medicinal purposes, in the United States from 1919 to 1933. At the time, alcohol was seen as this terrible, sinful substance. It was basically thought that alcohol only leads to bad things. And so why do we need it? Why don't we just get rid of it entirely? And so then, as the story goes, obviously, they outlaw it, and things go awry. Uh, awry. That wasn't even an intentional pun. But things go bad. Things go poorly. Organized crime blows up. People want their alcohol. They're going to find a way to get it. But what did that do to bourbon? So... As you might expect, a ton of distilleries had to close down. Other ones became very nearly bankrupt. They're closing doors. Some of them are dumping out product. Some of them have product, but they're just not allowed to touch it or do anything with it, so it just sits there. And really bad time to be a distiller because there's not much you can do. Now, some people could, as I mentioned, distill as medicinal purposes, or they could um, they could sell their whiskey for medicinal purposes. If I'm not... They might actually not have been able to distill it. I would have to look that up. But whatever whiskey it was that they had or that they were allowed to distill, whichever it was, they could sell for medicinal purposes. That was like the only way to sell whiskey and try to stay alive and keep your, your doors uh, open. Now, after the repeal, mostly the major distilleries remained. The big boys who were able to survive prohibition are the ones that remained. And then you've got the United States decides we're going to... After we repeal prohibition, we're going to leave all the alcohol power to the states. We're going to just let the states decide what they want to do. Now, here's the thing. Uh, regardless of your opinion of states' rights, the problem that that had was we now have the alcohol system in the United States that we have today. If you're not from the United States, let me enlighten you. It's terrible. Every state has different laws. It's incredibly difficult to ship any kind of alcohol from one state to another. The whole shipping industry, especially now that we have the internet, obviously they couldn't have known that back then. But now that we do, uh, everything's messed up. And it's very difficult to ship any kind of alcohol. And that's what's left us with these super weird laws where none of the states agree on what to do. And it's very confusing. Um, so people always ask me, why are the laws so confusing? Why, if I live in this state, can I get this? But if I live in this state, can I not get it? If I live in this state, I have to pay some crazy price. If I live in this state, I can't really find it. But if I do find it, then it's really cheap. What's going on? We have all these very, very weird alcohol laws because every state kind of has their own thing going on. And that's, and there, there's some weird ones. I encourage you to look up some of the alcohol laws <laughs> throughout the states. There are some very strange ones. So that it, so prohibition, in a, in a nutshell, what did it do to the bourbon industry? It closed down a lot of the smaller distilleries. It left only the big distilleries open. The big distilleries who did remain open were financially hurt by this. Overall, decimated the the whiskey industry and you know kind of the whole alcohol industry, um, as you would expect it to. But then things start picking up. It gets repealed, and we're rolling again. We're making bourbon again. 
But what happens is kind of strange. So there's not even really any one thing that I would say spurred this. It's kind of a multitude of different things, which we're going to talk about. But it starts off in 1964, as you might know, Congress recognized bourbon as a distinctive American spirit. This is how bourbon became America's native spirit. It, it was declared by Congress as being a United States product. But, as Distiller.com outlines, it then lost popularity. It became a low-class drink. Nobody wanted it anymore. It was seen as this, like, I don't know, masculine, low-class, just you use it to get drunk drink is what it was very much seen for at the time. Uh, And we discussed this a lot in episode 136. There was more supply than there was demand. So that was the episode where I talked with uh, Dominic Guglielmi about how Blanton's got so popular because it was very intertwined with this quote-unquote bourbon glut that we're going to talk about where there's way more bourbon than there is people who want to drink bourbon. So... More supply than you have demand. It's this low-class drink. You've got nobody wants it, really. What do we do is kind of what we were left with. Well, they started. the first thing is a lot of distillers started selling to overseas markets, and we talked about that as well in that episode, where Blanton started being sold in Japan. It didn't necessarily release in Japan, but it very quickly it, was, it went right to Japan. Um, and you're seeing people just shipping it to overseas markets where people are actually interested in it. So, after Prohibition, you've got a bourbon glut. Now you've got mostly big distillers making cheap product. You've just got these these big boxes cranking out bottom shelf, you know, uh, rot gut type whiskey. And that is not the market that we're in today. A lot of you are probably thinking, I wish that was the market we're in today. Bourbon is so expensive. So how do we get there? A lot of things happened, I think, that really led to this. And we talked on we touched on this a little bit. Uh, the episode uh, 136. But a few things happen. So first of all, you've got bourbon distillers selling this bottom shelf stuff, and they don't want to be selling bottom shelf product. They want to be selling expensive product. So they start coming up with all these different ideas. We talk about that's that's one of the reasons that Blanton's came to be, was it was like, we need something that we can sell as an expensive bottle. We can sell and at the time, expensive, I think, was like $25, if, if not less than that. I forget. Um, but we need something that we can sell as more of a top-shelf product and not so much a bottom-shelf product. And so, as happened with Blanton's, other distillers as well, they start coming up with these ideas to make them seem a little bit more premium. They want to make their whiskey seem like something you don't just use to get drunk, but you drink it because it's nice, because it's top-shelf, because uh, it's this higher-end product. So you've got a bunch of distillers who are trying to sell whiskey for a little bit more expensive. A lot of them can't. It's really considered bottom shelf. So what are you going to do? A lot of times you're going to sit on that product. So that's one thing that happened. And then they started selling older product. And they're like, this is older. We can charge more for it. This is this took more time to create. This It, it was an inventory longer. It's just more expensive as it is. And then they start making it older. They start doing these side projects like Blanton's deciding to make it single barrel. They start tweaking all of these little things in order to try to make their product nicer. Now, of course, that eventually works. And as that works, also public interest just begins to increase. This is one of those, you know, it's an ebb and flow. For a while there, people were really into clear spirits. They really liked the vodkas and the gins. But then people start to, like, care about this bourbon again, and they kind of like this, uh, I guess, grittiness that it has to it, this body that it has to it. And in the meantime, 
you've got all these new marketing techniques like Blanton's with this fancy bottle and this pony on top of it and it's single barrel. What does that even mean? And it's unique. So you've got all these things that came out. Plus now the public's like, hey, I think we might like that anyways. Now there's all this new marketing for it. Now I really think I like it. And then it starts to pick up its pace again. It slowly grows. So then bourbon just kind of becomes what you might think it is. It becomes kind of regarded as a whiskey that you can sip and kind of like single malts. Single malts always held a pretty decent regard. So you thought you could sip on it and you can have it, you know, with dinner or whatever. And it, it gains this nice regard, but you've still got largely similar, I don't want to say similar recipes because then people are going to come at me with how different the bourbon world was, but you've got largely a a more narrow landscape than we have today. But you got all these big distillers making all these different bourbons. And most of them are, I mean, pretty much all of them are following the exact bourbon laws. You don't have any special finishes. You don't have anything like that. Um, at least not on purpose. Maybe maybe like Old Forester, you had a fire and you had to put your whiskey back into barrels and then you have a double barrel. But either way, uh, nothing super creative. So then, it la- I mean, it, it continues and people keep drinking it and it becomes more and more widely known. So once again, this started in about the 60s, 70s, into the 80s. And then as we get into the 90s and then into the 2000s, it's growing and people are starting to care again. And then in the 2000s, you've got this explosion where craft distilleries start popping up. Everybody's trying unique, different things. Everybody wants to be different. And then you've got this, this bourbon, call it renaissance or call it a bubble, depending on who you ask, that we're kind of living in right now. And that continued on into the 2000s and brings us to where we are right now. I'm recording this on uh, the 18th of, of January in 2024. And we've still got this just booming bourbon industry, whether you want to call it a renaissance, whether, whether you want to call it booming or whether you want to call it a bourbon bubble. But a lot of things really led to that. You know, you started having that good marketing that I mentioned. Public opinion started increasing. And then you've got this catalyst of the Internet, social media. Those darn influencers who talk about good bourbons and then everybody buys them, such as myself. Uh, those sorts of things start popping up, even as simple as just Facebook groups, people talking about it, and everybody wants to be a part of something. And so then it really piles and piles and builds. And as the demand increases, you've got people throwing their hat in the ring and more craft distilleries popping up. And it's still going. I mean, for the most part, it's still going. And then I think you've even got another layer on top of that. I think that brings us into the 2000s. And I think the internet was the catalyst that took it from, hey, Blanton's is now a high-end beverage to, hey, now you cannot find Blanton's. I think the internet did that. But then there's also a relatively recent thing that happened in 2020 where everybody got locked inside. And everybody started picking up different hobbies because they were bored. And I think that really was a huge, huge catalyst to the bourbon industry. You started seeing, and and this is even as somebody who I started kind of quote-unquote bourbon hunting somewhat late. Um, But even since I started, it has gotten exponentially more difficult. The lines have tripled in length. The number of people joining daily still seems to be going up. So that all really started not just with COVID, but also with TikTok because TikTok took things and made them very, very, very viral. You know, it was really the first platform to have the algorithm where you don't just go viral over weeks or whatever. You can go viral today, be gigantic today, and then everybody forget about you tomorrow. That TikTok really started that. And I think 
that that also was a very big catalyst for the bourbon industry where people would see it. People started talking about it. People wanted to get involved. Once again, you're locked inside. And so you really, you want something new to do. You want a new group you can talk to. Well, you can talk to people on Facebook and on Reddit and on TikTok and all that. You can talk to them all about bourbon and about the whiskey world. And that's really the next big catalyst that I think exploded this even more to where, especially with allocated bourbons, things have gotten very difficult. It almost seems to me that that specific part of it, the the allocations, blew up more than the craft part with this past four years, call it, since 2020. Um, I really do feel like there's a strong desire for allocated stuff, but not as strong of a desire for your typical, uh, your nice craft stuff, which is something I try to fuel a lot. I try to talk a lot about craft stuff for that reason. Um, but I'm interested to see now. So you've had this huge spike where, let's just call it TikTok, made allocated bourbons really interesting. People started learning about these rare bourbons, these Blantons, these Pappies, and they thought, this is so interesting. But then a lot of those people stick around. And that's where I'm interested to see if that shifts back, and I think it kind of is, into craft where, of course, craft is still booming because the whole bourbon industry is booming. But now I think the, let's call it the Blantons, grabs people, and then the craft keeps people. So they get grabbed by this itch to bourbon hunt, and then as they're bourbon hunting, they're learning about these other craft distillers, or even not even craft, but just good bourbons that are available, like Woodford Double Oaked, like the old Forester Whiskey Rose series, those sorts of things. And then, of course, the new craft guys that are popping up, the Penelopes, the Barrels, a bunch more that I can't name off the top of my head right now. I'm wondering if that's going to keep people around. And so when people ask me if the bourbon bubble is going to pop, I don't know. And I've said before, I don't know. And I hope it doesn't just pop. I hope it levels off more so than pops. Um, But I do think we are going to see a shift towards reasonably priced craft bourbons. I also see some of the craft people getting a little big for their britches on pricing, which I'm hopefully, well, not hopefully, which if it if I am told to review it, I'm going to start calling out in my reviews most likely. But all that is to say, I don't know if the bubble's going to pop. I think hopefully the allocated bubble's going to pop, but uh, like people are going to quit caring so much about allocations and rare stuff. But I don't think the bourbon, I think we're still going to see people getting involved in bourbon, which honestly I love, which, I, you know, there's plenty of craft stuff to go around. There's plenty of good bottles to go around. Um, I think we're still going to keep seeing that, at least for a while. That's just my current forecast, current opinion. But that brings us to the modern day. So let, let's let's recap the history of bourbon here. You've got right at the beginning of the United States, the immigrants came over. They were distilling over in England. They were distilling barley in Scotland and in Ireland. And then they come over here, and there's not barley, but there's corn. There's some barley, but there's a lot of corn. They start distilling that. Maybe it was Elijah Craig. Maybe it was who know who who knows who started putting it in barrels and aging it, and boom, you've got bourbon. Then bourbon's going to continue to grow up. You've got this whiskey rebellion, a little bit of a stutter in the timeline, if you will. And that's you know the first big challenge of government authority. Then the whiskey rebellion is over. Things just continue on. You've got prohibition. We don't need to beat that dead horse. A lot of people know about prohibition. Decimates the alcohol industry in the United States until finally it gets repealed. Then you've got people just lose interest in bourbon. It becomes super cheap, super low shelf. Everybody starts throwing everything at the wall, trying to make it popular, trying to make it seem higher shelf. People start gaining interest again. Those two things come together and boom, you've got bourbon booming a little bit into the 2000s. Craft distillers start popping up. 
things are getting huge. It's getting hard to find Blantons. And then wham, you've got COVID. You've got TikTok. You've got bourbon totally blowing up to the insane proportions that we have today. And that's where we are. So are we at the peak? Maybe. But I don't know if there's so much a bubble that's going to pop as much as maybe we're going to level off. Maybe things are going to stop uh, exploding at the rate that they're currently exploding. And that's bourbon in the United States. Of course, there's other things I can talk about. And obviously, this is a fun topic. Maybe I'll have an episode later on where I'll zero in on different things in the history of bourbon. Um, But those are just a few of the major points along the timeline that I found to be relatively important and and kind of that I found to impact the landscape that we see today. I think that those are big things that actually impacted where we are today with bourbon. So hopefully you learned something about bourbon. I know I thought it was super interesting. If nothing else, you can walk away from this with a new fun fact for people, a new icebreaker for dinner. Hey, do you know where drinking straws came from? Because it came from people drinking alcohol (laughs) and they got sick of their rye straw falling apart in their glass. That's where drinking straws came from. That's all I can say about the history of bourbon, though, guys. So hopefully, once again, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know. Give a good review. Uh, Consider looking at that Patreon down in the link below, which reminds me, we have a new expert noob. Thank you so much to Blake Powell for joining the expert noobs tier of the Whiskey Noobs Patreon page. If you're considering that, if you even want to look into it, please feel free to go check at that link in the show notes. That's all I can say about bourbon, guys. You know I could sit here and ramble on all day long, but I'm going to be done. I'm sure there will be more in the future, especially as I visit more distilleries, hopefully. Thank you, guys. I will leave you with learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you need more Whiskey Noobs content in your life, make sure you check out our Patreon page in the show notes. And if you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review. It only takes a couple of minutes, and they're way more helpful than people realize. If you want to do tastings alongside the show, make sure you join the email list by sending an email to whiskeynoobspodcast at gmail.com with a subject line that says email list. You'll receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at Whiskey underscore Noobs and on TikTok at Whiskey Noobs Podcast. Once again, thank you guys for listening. The Whiskey Noobs Podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.